0: I really believe this is the way forward for looking at sustainable uh, food production. We just need to, to do it next to the dinner table, and, and then we just have to learn as much and uh, quick as possible from each other.
1: Welcome to RASTalk, the podcast on recirculating aquaculture systems and sustainable food production. Brought to you by RASTAC magazine, the premier publication for recirculating aquaculture systems professionals. This episode is sponsored by OxyGuard International. Secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Jean Coden, and I'm the editor of Hatchery International and RAS Tech Magazine. And I'm, of course, joined by Brian Vinci, the director of the Freshwater Institute. Hi, Brian.
2: Hi, Jean. How are you doing?
1: Doing good. This episode is going to come out in September, but right now we're in the midst of summer heat. How are you feeling over there in West Virginia?
2: Well, pretty good. Um, And you'll hear on the podcast, um, Esben talks about energy efficiency and uh, overcoming the challenges of growing uh, salmon on land in a tropical climate and the associated energy demand from chilling. And I'll tell you... um, you know, even here in the mid-Atlantic of the United States, outside of Washington, D.C., all of our chillers are going full go 24 hours wow. a day right now. And we're you know trying to keep our temperatures suitable for Atlantic salmon. Um, primarily, we shoot for around 12 to 13. Um, if we don't use chillers here and in our land-based systems, we'll get up to 17. So, uh, it's a significant you know, four or five degrees Celsius that you need to bring your systems down in land-based Atlantic salmon culture.
1: Mm. Well, as Brian mentioned, our guest today is Esben Jensen, uh, Jensen with an E, and he is the chief executive and founder of a new project called Singapore Raz. And we haven't quite covered quite a lot about RAS projects in the Eastern Hemisphere in general, but um, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring him onto the show. And he's getting ready to build a thousand metric ton Atlantic salmon facility starting hopefully next year. And we'll get to hear Esben's own insights later, but for you, Brian, uh, what have you seen or what do you think about the potential market for RAS in Asia and Southeast Asia in this case?
2: Yeah, I, I think your idea to look at this area and have a guest from this area is a great one. And and we should continue on this, um, in the future. I've spent a little bit of time in uh, Japan and Vietnam, um, looking at aquaculture there specifically in Vietnam. I was, um, giving lectures on land-based recirculation technology because as uh, they intensify their shrimp production and the Mekong Delta becomes saltier, um, they are looking for additional ways to continue to expand the shrimp industry. And at the time it was early RAS days. And I think since then they've, they've made announcements about in Vietnam about having uh, recirculation systems for um, shrimp and, and maybe some other uh, fish species. I think I saw that in uh, the industry news about six months ago. Of course, Japan has a large land-based salmon project. Uh, two of them, I think, have been announced. Um, uh, recently, there was a big announcement by a company that owns Surmac, the uh, net pen farmer from Norway. They're also going to do a project in Japan. Um, of course, most of the uh, countries in that area have a very high seafood consumption per person. So that's a, a big demand um, that can be filled And as the population grows, though, you know, that the limitations on on capture fisheries um, requires aquaculture to fill the gap. I've spent a little bit of time in China. Of course, China did adopt recirculation pilot projects pretty early on. They did a trout project in the Gobi Desert with Bill and Aquaculture of Denmark. Oh, gosh, I bet you that was 10 years ago. And, um, you know, they went through some of the Early learning on recirculation technologies in in that project, and since then they've had announcements and have been in construction on other land based facilities in uh, China. And you know, when we were there, um, it was amazing to see uh, in the market. uh, You know, just the grocery store in China. uh, We're primarily in the northeast area. How much? of a premium uh, Atlantic salmon from Norway would command. And I was just a little bit surprised even to see it, Atlantic salmon. Uh, this was 2011, 2012, I think. Um, so, and since then, I think the appetite for uh, products, uh, high quality uh, protein products like Atlantic salmon continues to grow in those countries. And I think the promise for RAS there is, uh, is quite good. Uh, but, you know, China is also looking at other technologies like offshore. They recently built a very large uh, offshore type barge for raising, I think, salmon. So aquaculture definitely uh, is very prominent in those countries already, much larger than the U.S. or Europe. Um, and they're uh, expanding their technologies to include land-based. So I think the Singapore RAS project makes uh, a lot of sense. You know, um, of course, Singapore's island country that imports I think 90% of their food just outright. Um, So that would include 90% of their seafood. And uh, in the podcast, uh, I know that you brought up the sustainability policy that Singapore has.
1: Let's get right to it, shall we? Um, Please enjoy the RAS Talk podcast with Esben Johnson welcome Esben to the RAS Talk podcast. We're so happy that you were able to carve out some time for us and have a conversation with us about your RAS project.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. and Thank you for inviting me. Looking forward to this. Yeah, um, I especially want to thank you because
1: you're 12 hours ahead of us. So we really appreciate you um, staying up a little bit later to talk to us.
0: No, no problem, because it's easier for me to carve out because it's after the working day. So, so that worked <laughs> fine.
1: I guess the first question would be why choose Singapore for your RAS project?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So it's not a single sort of answer. It's a little bit uh, uh, a series of uh, reasons for it. First of all, because um, uh, I I love the the region. I've been working in the region. Um, I've been living in the region for I think a total of seventeen years. We lived. Uh, in thailand uh, we lived in uh, malaysia uh, we lived in singapore so, so we lo- know the region very well uh, and I appreciate re- the region very much the, especially then the south southeast asia of course singapore came out as the most expensive place to to do it but we also realized that um, you, you need to look at the the whole things, particularly factoring in the risk the security of supply of of water electricity Manpower. Uh, you need to make sure that you can get the feed in. You get. You don't have problems with your uh, import of, of food uh, elements and feed and these sort of things. And we found out if you just have one minor incident uh, in a then of course you you wipe out the whole difference in in cost benefit. You might have been in, in being either in in uh, Kuching or in Joe uh, or or in Bintan. So we said um, okay, we we for the first step, let's move into Singapore. So that was sort of what drove the the Singapore element. So first the region, first of all, and then when you work into the the opportunities, you then see that um, um, both the Singapore market, but also the Singapore uh, proposition as a a production facilities um, look look the best.
1: Yeah, for sure. And speaking of the Singapore market, I've read that maybe part of the appeal of building a project in Singapore is the country's uh, 30 by 30 food sufficiency target. Um, Can you talk to the people a little bit about that and how you feel Singapore RAS will play a role in that?
0: So Singapore being an island has always imported uh, more than 90% of the food uh, uh, supplies uh, for many, many years. So so they've been uh, and had policies and concern on, on security of supply of food for, for many years. And um, so they have had a series of um, uh, policies and strategies trying to, to minimize it. And they had something they called the, the three food baskets uh, initially, uh, which was sort of a three-legged stool for, for the supplies. One thing was to produce locally. Another one was to diversify the, the suppliers. So they, they are not focusing on having have, they focus on having multiple supply for all different types of food uh, uh, food goods. So um, I think they are getting a food supply for 170 different countries. And then the third one was to, to grow overseas. So on this uh, last element, uh, and th- this, this has gone on, as I said, for, for at least 10, uh, 15 years, these concerns. And then in um, 2018, I think they created this uh, 30-30 uh, strategy, which says that and this focus then on one of these uh, legs of the stool, the, the local produce. Um, and they then said, uh, by twenty thirty, we want to have thirty um, percent of the uh, food needs um, made locally or provided lo- locally through grown uh, local uh, through aquaculture or uh, or agriculture.
1: Singapore RAS is your first RAS project, is that right?
0: Yeah, correct.
1: Um, was there a lot of um learning you had to do? Did your expertise, for example, in the energy industry come into play when developing this Ras project?
0: Yeah. My major time in the oil and gas has been in project development uh, and big project development. It's been also a lot of it in project maturation, initiation, maturation, and taking it through the, to the different stages. So so, so that definitely uh, was very important when we went into this one. Uh, I mean, the, the whole RAS industry, if you go... And, and look into the um, equipment industry, especially in Norway and Denmark. Well, especially in Norway, you will see a large portion of the, the people working in that one comes from the oil and gas industry. So, so it's a quite common um, wave from from oil and gas and into to the Ras equipment side. But then it was also very much the um, the, the product management when we're going through the initial learning period and, and reading up on on um, the history of Ras and. Um, what had happened in, in, in Northern Europe, in particular in, in Denmark, also uh, in, in, in Poland and Switzerland and, and so forth. What we saw there was or initially perhaps quite a lot of, of issues around product management in itself. And then, of course, the biggest one that comes later on is uh, the operation side and the biological side and having control of that one. But uh, quite a lot of issues had, uh, was already uh, around the product management. So, so that uh, was one of the things. The, the other element is more on, like you're saying, the energy in itself. Uh, initially, especially then when you're talking, uh, like we're talking about here, Atlantic Salmon in the tropics, of course, you have a much larger degree of, of your optics and, and the research goes into to keeping the water cool. So, so then coming from the energy side, there is a, a whole series of, of, of new things that comes in. So we've been focused very much on, on that side, uh, looking at heat pumps, looking at photovoltaic panels, what can you do more for, I mean, those are the obvious ones for reducing the energy cost in itself, but also new development like uh, special paint you would use on the outside, uh, uh, that reducing um, the, uh, the energy uh, losses of, of the building in itself, um, and there were also a couple of other interesting things that probably don't have too much time to go into here, and in, but comes into Singapore in connection with, uh, in particularly connection with LNG that that opens up. So, so that brings in the the energy, oil and gas side where you can see some synergies uh, uh, with, with the with the RAS facilities. In fact, and what we're also seeing is that perhaps in, in initially, and particularly a lot of the RAS has been done in. Uh, not in the tropics, but more in, in the northern uh, countries where cooling was not that uh, important, and then your energy consumption was perhaps in the order of 10 to 15% of your OPEX. But when you're now getting into to have to cool the water and, and uh, use a lot of energy to to for that one, then you get, it becomes, it's not as bad as the feed, which is 50% on your OPEX, but you get up to a 25% on the OPEX almost uh, that goes to to energy for, for cooling and moving of water. So um, uh, a very significant element will go into looking into exactly the energy uh, usage and distribution.
2: Eswin, let's talk a little bit about the technology and technology provider. I've read a few industry articles on your project and noted that you're partner with a company called Onshore Technologies, or OnTech, as well as OFS Norge. Um, hmm? If you don't mind, why don't you explain uh, to the listeners um, how those companies are participating in the project and what they're bringing to the project?
0: Yes, yeah, so so they bring uh, a farming, direct farming experience, but also the design of, of the facilities. So they have a, quite a, a neat uh, design where they built in the equipment in itself into the, into the tanks. So if you remember from the, um, the last podcast, um, the Atlantic Sapphire, they were talking in the phase one, they had, uh, I think it was six tanks hooked up to each uh, RAS uh, unit. And they were then saying that now going into phase two, they were going to have three tanks uh, going into to, um, to one RAS facility for the cleaning of the water. The system we are looking at is even more compact where you, you build in the uh, bio and mechanical filter into the, the to, into the unit in itself. And by doing so, you have much less, it becomes more compact. Uh, you move water much less. You don't take it up and down and uh, and into uh, central facilities and pump it back in again. But it's sitting in the system in itself. So so they they come with experience from having developed them themselves. They have uh, they have their own facilities in, in Moyle that you can see on their um, on, on their website. So so it's the combination of both equipment development or 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 system development as well as their own um, uh, farming of um, salmon.
2: So Ontech is currently a uh, salmon farmer in Norway, a um, land-based salmon farmer?
0: No, it's the OFS is the farming side. Um, that, that is, uh, And then Ontech is the technology side that is right. looking more at the fa- facilities. How big is the OFS facility in Norway? It's, it's under construction. So it's, um, um, I think the... Um, a license they have is for uh, i think 15 tons per annum um, and then they are they are in the process of building uh, um, i think it's up to 3,000. Uh, they have uh, uh, an initial tanks together with uh, what they call the OnTech academy and uh, that is also um, uh, built up for for training of, of future farmers linking up with the local uh, Local schools and the, and the university there, so uh, they, it's as sort of um, the the whole from education to to um, system development to to farming,
2: right? And in Singapore for your project, uh, what are you thinking for your you know first phase and and build out phase in terms of um, capacity per year?
0: So so we so when we started the whole um, um project and we started in beginning of 2020 we started up with the feasibility study so we looked at locations As like i said at the, you know, do you go to george go to kushin do you go to, Cushing, do you go to, to batam and um, another thing was the sizing so we looked at what was the most successful uh, ras facilities for grow out that that has uh, had been built in Europe, and we looked at um, uh, Denmark. You had uh, Atlantic Sapphire there. You, you have also uh, facilities in, in Poland. You have a facilities in in uh, in Switzerland, and it fr- from what we then uh, could see, the uh, which we uh, then adopted was that you you start uh, small. Uh, you start around a thousand tons per annum. You then have built in a path to 3,000 tons per annum. Um, And uh, so you first get the first 1,000 tons per annum up and running. You build up your operational experience, the the skills of the staff. You build up uh, all your SOPs and and emergency procedures and so forth. And once you have that in control, you can then take your next step. That seemed at um, that point to, to be the the best path forward. Then, of course, you also had this this economy of scale that came in uh, towards um, uh, the latter part with the Atlantic Sapphire. Um, But I still think um, that what we, at least here for Singapore, makes much more sense to go in with what we are doing now. 3,000, it was really by coincidence um, uh, that that the 3,000 tons per annum uh, which was our end sort of uh, sizing we would uh, like to come up to is 30% of the Singapore market. So it ties in fully with your 30 30 uh, strategy, which was not, not done by design, uh, but it uh, just uh, it, the two things fitted very well together.
2: Right, right. So you mentioned that the technology from uh, OnTech is an all inclusive. Uh, tank and treatment system that's essentially independent. So how many of those all-inclusive systems will you have to build for the first 1,000 tons of annual production?
0: Yeah, so what we are looking at now, we are in, in, in the middle of, of uh, the design phase of that one. So just to make sure that we uh, get it right to the market, because there is, of course, a, another challenge when you, when you are delivering it directly into a market. Uh, you, you, you don't have the opportunity like you would, for instance, have in pen based and, and larger based, where you go via an exporter that you can just deliver your, your full, um, the, the, the full grown out, uh, full tank, if you want, uh, to the suppliers. Here we need to, to supply a, a market on, a, on a, a weekly and daily basis. So I think we are looking at the moment around four tanks of different sizes. Uh, that you that are fully uh, independent tax,
2: right? Do you have a site selected in Singapore for the facility already?
0: We have uh, been uh, working hand in hand with the the authorities here uh, since um, uh, late two thousand and twenty. Uh, we n- we know the area where um, all these uh, facilities are being. Uh, allocated in Singapore, it was a Lim Chu area, which is up in the north um, uh, northwestern uh, corner of, of Singapore, uh, where they are also doing a, a master plan. So we know the era, but the ex, uh, the, the this very specific location um, is not fully defined yet.
1: How long have you been in these conversations with the Singapore government agencies? I mean, keeping in mind the thirty thirty target, I, I would think that it would be a more hospitable environment, site selection wise and regulation wise, in terms of that region's interest in RAS development. But how have you been finding it, and how long have you been talking to them about it?
0: No, yeah, it's a very good question. That's that's also, I think, uh, a feeling that is. Um, not just with this product, but also with other products, is that there's perhaps not that uh, sense of urgency, as you would think. And it comes back a little bit, again, I'm referring all the time to, to Atlantic Sapphire, but I think that, uh, there's a lot of good points there that he was saying that it takes longer than people believe to get it up and running. And I think that that is true. Um, it's taken us longer. Uh, and that is perhaps not appreciated also for for people who's then looking at um, 30-30 um, uh, 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 policies, 2030 uh, 30, looks far away, it's seven years, but in in this type of uh, environment, it, or in this type of project, that is more or less than the time you need. Uh, so you don't have uh, the luxury of an awful lot of, uh, of issues and problems. Um, so you would expect more urgency, um, but it, it's not really felt that the urgency is there yet.
1: Is Atlantic Sapphire sort of a role model for you? Um, and are there other RAS projects that you're looking to as you're developing your own project?
0: No, I wouldn't say it's a role model. I, I, I must say I've I because it's uh, ec- their biggest element is around economy of scale. That's not what we are looking for. It's it's elements which are absolutely the same. And we are doing very much the same that we are looking for and, for a local market, just trying to, to see how, where do we build raw cells in the world. And of course, we build in China, we build in, in uh, Japan, uh, you build in uh, Korea, there is things happening else, or uh, also in Europe, uh, in Belgium, and Germany, uh, or in France. But I don't think there's been any, but has been so open and transparent with all, all their results and all their issues uh, as atlantic supply so for me it's a role model in, in the sense of transparency because that's where we want to be awesome um, and i think as i said before there is enough space for everybody and we just need to learn uh, because this is in my I, I really believe this is the way forward to for looking at sustainable uh, food production you just need to to do it next to the dinner table um, and, and then we just have to learn as much and uh, quick as possible from each other. And I suppose the recent global events has, has done nothing more than build the business case for it and, and strengthen the, the need for everybody to learn as much as possible from each other.
2: Yeah, uh, definitely um, the transparency from uh, Sapphire being a publicly funded project you know, listed on the stock exchange uh, has benefited the industry when it comes to looking at the issues of scale, Um, I want to come back to uh, technology. Um, You mentioned uh, salmon is the species that you'll be producing. I know that uh, Singapore uh, has a pretty high per capita seafood consumption rate. I think it's somewhere on the order of over 20 kilos per person per year, but I'm not familiar with what that species breakdown is. And did you consider other species besides salmon when looking at those numbers to produce for people in seafood in the
0: general area there? Not really. Um, I mean, we knew that the, the market f- for, um, for um, Atlantic uh, salmon was, um, was high. It was in, in uh, the 10,000. Uh, we, all, of course, were also aware that a lot of this was uh, air freighted. Um, and, and then looking at the st- sustainability as, as, of course, then the value of your end product. We didn't want to take on extra market risk uh, to try to develop something for which there was not yet the market. And also, uh, we wanted to be in an area where there was enough open research literature and, and mm-hmm. information mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and development on equipment and so forth. So I think uh, uh, it was more those sort of things than, than looking at, uh, at, um, at other species uh, uh, that some of the other companies have gone over. I, I know, uh, I think you, you challenged also then in the last uh, podcast, uh, whether it was it uh, Kingfish or Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah. um, um, so we, we haven't looked at that at all
2: and I'm also not super familiar with uh, Singapore aquaculture you know obviously it's a um, an island that imports uh, not just 90% of its seafood but I think 90% of its overall food production is uh, or food is, is brought in uh, but is there any um, aquaculture to speak of in Singapore?
0: Yes there there is a production uh, I think their sufficient was around five percent of of locally uh, produced uh, red snapper and tilapia. So so there is some production. There is pan-based production in the. Uh, let me see. There was uh, uh, I think uh, yeah five thousand tons or so around five hmm. percent uh, uh, self-sufficiency on, on the uh, on the fish side. Right. Um, so there is something, uh, and as I said, there it's it's mainly offshore. Um, I don't have the split uh, split on uh, yet, but uh, yeah. uh, but of course there's limited amount of space there also.
2: So so you were you know directly addressing one of the, the known markets there with Atlantic salmon. So that yeah. led you to have to pull all the suppliers together for your project. And I noted in the uh, industry news that you had signed uh, Benchmark Genetics on to provide the eggs for the project. Um, which is great. I was curious, uh, you mentioned feed early on in the podcast, if you've identified a feed partner for the project.
0: Yeah, we, we have, of course, uh, contacted the sort of the three uh, say three big sisters. There, and I suppose that's used in other, but I mean, the three big uh, companies, we've uh, been in contact with them. So, so we haven't really signed uh, uh, such a firm agreement as we have done with, uh, with Benchmark Genetics. Uh, but we've been uh, definitely looking, uh, and also then looking at other element around it also. So uh, there is a whole lot of initiatives going around alternative foods, uh, supplies or food, uh, fish food, uh, through the use of insects and so forth. Most of that is just experimental, so that uh, that's that's coming uh, further down the road. But I mean, we have an open eye for that one. Um, we would try to source, of course, the feed. Uh, as close as possible so not getting feed shipped by by well definitely not by plane but i mean try to avoid uh, shipping feed across the globe to to get it here uh, so it will be looking at uh, resourcing that one uh, regionally at least and um, and and then also to see um, from from the the waste uh, we will have um, in particular from the processing waste uh, of of oil and, and uh, fish mill to see how we can then find a, a sort of a circular economy that can can be used here locally. Do you feel any pressure for
1: Singapore RAS to also be a successful pioneer? You mentioned Atlantic Sapphire in that way. Do you feel pressure in being a successful project in that region?
0: Yeah, the, I, I think the export is less than Atlantic Sapphire. I mean, Atlantic Sapphire has to is proving for the whole industry uh, as uh, as a whole economy of scale and uh, possibility to to do this uh, in the tropics and, and and earn money from it. Um, so so they they have a higher pressure, I would say. For us, it, it's more a, just a project economic. It's not that it's uh, something which is. Uh, having all the significance for replications uh, elsewhere, because we are, there are more actors in, in this uh, size segment than uh, where Atlantic Sapphire, I mean, they they are the only one that is actually working in the segment where they're working. So they have uh, definitely higher pressure than, uh, than we have. For us, it would be more like... like um, Everybody else is still sufficiently pressured to, to make this successful, uh, but I don't think it's the same sort of um, industry look at uh, this product. Uh, but it would be, on the other hand, you you then are now looking into supplying to a local market, where you then become an important player uh, to to fulfill the 3030 strategy. So, um, and there is not time for a, for a second chance uh, when we know seven years to 2030 and uh, five years from the start until you see um, production more or less. Uh, this will be the, the sort of, I would think, the last sort of trial or test of, of meeting the target successfully. So uh, from a product point of view and from a country point of view, yeah, there is, is high pressure. But from a global point of view, which is more where Atlantic Sapphire is sitting, uh, it's, a, it's a different level.
2: Right. You know, and, and talking about that pressure and the, the government's policies for the uh, food security, I'm wondering about the capital raise that you need to put together for the thousand tons. Um, is the government offering low interest or no interest loans? And have you been able to interest uh, the Singapore venture capital community in this project at all?
0: That has been a bit harder than uh, originally thought. So, um, so we. Uh, we have seen interest, but it hasn't been so uh, so easy as uh, as initially expected. And I think there is a lot of interest here in in funding IT project and, and project with a short time and, and early early cash flow. And um, so in that area, it's easier to find capital. But when it comes to to this which is almost like an oil and gas uh, from from your first uh, um, cash payout till till your first uh, uh, the first harvest um, you talk about three years ish in, in, in two to three years it's not been easy to find them uh, so we, we found uh, some interested but I must say we have had to go back to to, to Norway to to find people who's more uh, where where the whole Rust discussion and awareness around Rust for for Solomon and for grow out um, is is more uh, available to 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 find interested parties.
2: well we wish you the best as you as you do that capital raise and we want to thank you for your uh, time today it has been uh, very interesting to learn about the Singapore res project uh, your partners with ontech and ofS and about all the challenges you're facing
1: We really do appreciate it um we know it's it's late in the evening for you there so we appreciate you taking the time and carving out the time for us and hopefully we'll hear from you and singapore RAS again as you
0: guys start to build out next year yeah no thank you very much for the time you're looking forward to talk to you again later thank you very much
1: all right that was a really educational interview for me, I feel. And a good first episode of looking into that region with Singapore, but also Southeast Asia in general. Uh, Brian, you mentioned in the intro that there's a lot of potential to be had in that region. And hopefully we'll be able to talk about more RAS projects in that area soon. One big takeaway that I had from that interview is that Espen mentioned Atlantic Sapphire quite a lot in this episode. And I think it just goes to show how influential Johan Andreasen's work there and his team's work at Atlantic Sapphire can be for the industry at large. And yeah, it looks like Esben Johnson has a difficult road ahead to get uh, Singapore RAS up and running, but there's clearly a need that needs to be filled in that region.
2: 100% agree on that. My takeaways were similar. Uh, definitely early days for Singapore RAS um, using a technology provider from Norway, OnTech and OFS who themselves are pretty early days with the land-based uh, salmon endeavor. Um, I thought it was interesting to hear Espen talk about um, those things that are needed to deliver a project, You know, good project management, building the team. Uh, some of those things we heard from Johan last uh, podcast um, that he has gone through and, and been an example for others to do that. Now Espen has a history and a work experience in uh, oil and gas, and those folks, you know, know how to deliver large projects, complicated projects um, that are, you know, marine-based or or in that same sort of realm. So I think you know Singapore RAS, uh is one to keep an eye on. I when I whenever I hear about uh, oil and gas uh, companies that make uh, su- support equipment like rigs and boats and the like. Getting into the land-based space, I I pay attention because I know there's tremendous project management um, expertise there. And uh, those kind of uh, folks can deliver uh, on the kind of complex projects that land-based RAS is.
1: Yes, for sure. And we'll definitely be keeping a close eye on Singapore RAS and how it will evolve in the next few years. But that's it for our episode for now. Um, as always, our show notes with links, photos, and more extras can be found on our website, rastechmagazine.com podcast. If you want to support us, please consider sharing this episode with your network and on social media. You can also follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss a new episode. We want to thank our sponsor, Oxyguard International. Secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. That's it, everyone. Thanks for listening. See you next time.